0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Fullest Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Bostwick, and today's guest is Jason Hommel, who's the author of The Copper Revolution, Healing with Minerals. Jason grew up ski racing in the Sierra Mountains of Lake Tahoe, and as an athlete, he understood the toll that the sport can take on the body and the need for recovery. Eventually, this led him to discover the many benefits of copper on the body and to author the book, The Copper Revolution. We're so excited to have Jason on the show today to talk us through the power of copper to heal ourselves. Hi, Jason.
1: Uh, hi, Nikki. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Thanks for coming on. I'm so happy this worked out. I've been hearing so much about copper, and I, I have like a background in yoga, and so when I studied Ayurveda a, bit, a little bit, I know that they're big fans of like copper bottles and they use a lot of copper and you know different healing rituals but i'm just so curious to dive in because i haven't really i know that it's been like hot in my community but i haven't really dove in whatsoever so i'm excited to have an expert on our show on this topic
1: well thank you that's great i'm actually drinking water out of a copper cup right now i'm familiar with the, the ayurvedic practice and um Gosh, that takes me all the way back to my college days when the, there were some Ayurvedists in town in, in Boulder, Colorado, who were trying to always pitch me what they had to offer. And I was, I've was i always been interested in yoga and stretching, just for ski racing and uh, herbs and things of this nature and vitamins and minerals. In fact, I, I first got back into, into copper, gosh, uh, quite a long time ago.
0: I'd love for you to start there, I guess. Like, what led you to discover copper in the first place?
1: So... Gosh, there was a, a newsletter thirty-four years ago back when I was ski racing and I had a particular problem for with heel spurs. And um this newsletter said that if you take magnesium and zinc and copper, it would make uh bone spurs go away. So I had like boot bang and uh, heel spurs growing, calcifications, and other ski racers were doing weird things like, you know, getting surgically removed, the heel spurs or arch spurs. And then also they were uh, blowing out their boots with like a heat gun to try to distort the boot. So it would not hurt them so much. And I just, I thought those were, I I even had my boots distorted for my own heel spurs one year, but they were getting worse. And so when I had found this newsletter, I said, Oh, I'm going to apply this. I'm going to have to, I'm going to be able to avoid surgery. And that's going to be awesome. And sure enough, it totally worked within like three months. Wow. Did a lot of magnesium and a lot of copper and a lot of zinc. And um, it was pitched as a way to as a temporary fix, and then it said you should stop because we really don't know what high doses of copper could deplete other minerals, and so therefore there's potential danger. I said okay, well that's what I did, and I the following year after that I now realize I had my best ski racing year ever, and I was never able to duplicate it, and it's probably because I didn't know it at the time, but copper heals the body in like easily 200 different ways in more ways than you can even count. It's amazing. So that's kind of how I got into it. But I really got into copper again about another I sort of rediscovered copper about five years ago. You know, I've always never really liked copper as a supplement. I always had it in my arsenal, but it always made me a little nauseous and that made me always a little skeptical. And and I didn't really like it because of the nausea. And gosh, I guess about six years ago or six and a half I was diagnosed low copper, low zinc. So I started taking more zinc and started taking copper regularly, and it stopped my nosebleeds. And I thought that was pretty curious because I had a problem with nosebleeds. And uh, finally, I learned that copper stops bleeding. And I said, okay, well, this is even more curious. Maybe it's from the copper because I hadn't had a nosebleed in like a year and a half when I was being very diligent on copper. So I decided to stop the copper and figuring that if the nosebleeds returned, I'd find my way back to copper again. I just stored that away in my little head and I and then I entered a period of brain fog and low energy. And it was horrible for about six to eight months. And I couldn't quite figure out what the problem was because I really hadn't done an extensive study into copper yet. It's five years ago. So I tried herbs for, herbal fatigue, for uh, adrenal fatigue and all these things. I even had a fainting spell once. And I'm like, what in the heck is going on? And it's not until the nosebleeds returned that I found my way back to copper. And so I started taking 10 milligrams. I felt significantly better. And I began to wonder, well, why can't I take more than 10 milligrams? What's the reason? So I started my research because, see, before I had done research that says, you know, 10 milligrams is the upper limit, 0.9, uh, 9 milligrams is the lower limit, stay within the range. And I thought my research was complete. So I was, uh, you know, taking three to six to nine milligrams. Well, when I found my way back to copper, I'm like, why do we have to stop at 10 again? Did more research. And I found that the answer was that's the level that no liver injury take place. And I thought those were a peculiar choice of words because it didn't make sense to me because what's the level that causes some liver damage? Yeah. And in attempting to answer that question, I ended up, you know, really, really, really studying and realized they never they don't know the answer to that question yet. They never did the follow up studies. And there's four government agencies that admit that they've never studied at what level copper causes liver damage, and they really don't know. And they never did follow up studies. So basically, the door is wide open to do those studies. And they've suggested people should do those studies. But, you know, that's very, very deep in their fine print. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, what exactly does copper do for the body? And are there any particular ailments that copper is especially good for?
1: Right. So, um, copper does, like I said, at least 200 different things. The biggest are improved energy. We need it to make ATP from. Oxygen, which we convert oxygen and food into energy for the body. That's the ATP. That's probably the one of the biggest things that it does. But we also need copper for collagen production, so we don't have wrinkles. We need it for melanin production, for our, the color of our uh, tan in our skin and in our hair. We need it for uh, proper nerve functioning, uh, proper muscle functioning, for uh, bone strength. Every single organ and tissue and cell in the body need copper. So it just does so much. And then the other big thing that it does is detoxify the body. Copper and zinc and and copper itself make a ton of different antioxidant enzymes in the body that uh, detoxify literally everything, any sort of chemical toxin, mercury and lead and arsenic. So as far as ailments go, I guess probably the biggest one would be the thing that people call chronic fatigue syndrome or uh, connective tissue disorders like arthritis. Or any sort of brain fog or brain disease, because copper heals the nerves in at least 15 different ways, increasing neurotransmitters. It acts as a neurotransmitter itself, m- improves memory. It heals anemia. That's the big one. Increases uh, red blood cells, it increases white blood cells, kills germs. So, any sort of ailment that you have, copper really attacks it in every which way. Even diabetes, heals the pancreas, increases insulin sensitivity, improves heart attacks, kills cancer. I mean, everything, everything, everything.
0: Okay. So obviously you had mentioned like it's detoxifying and it helps clear metals. So clearly it's helping to clear heavy metals from our environment, from our food, from vaccines, probably. Yes. Um, So then I'm assuming then the way that it works, like, is it like an adaptogenic thing where it is just adapts to what your body needs? Or is it like what it's doing is clearing out all the toxicity so that your body can just function better.
1: It does a lot more than clear out the toxicity, but um, you need to get the dose up to a certain amount just to even start activating all those enzymes. You need to have enough copper that your body will readily, easily excrete the copper. And that happens at around 10 milligrams in the studies, 10 milligrams a day, and then you're excreting most of the copper that you're um, bringing in in which case it then acts as a detoxifying agent because it will bind to the other minerals and make all sorts of detoxifying enzymes like metallothionine, which is made also with zinc and selenium, which detoxes mercury, lead, and arsenic. It makes uh, superoxide dismutase, which detoxes thousands of chemical toxins. So it's really in the enzymes that help it do its detoxing power. But it also binds directly to things like fluoride and bromide, which are the top two, number one recognized toxins that are in the human body. Uh, And so those are also very important.
0: So then how is it that you're suggesting people introduce copper in their practice? Like, is it through, you know, like we just talked about using a copper water bottle? Like, how can you figure out the dosages? Is it found in naturally in food?
1: Yeah. So maybe you can help me with this, but it it took me a long time to find how much copper we get from drinking out of a copper cup. And I I found that the answer was about 0.4 milligrams per day, which is not a whole lot. And, and I'm taking about 30 milligrams of copper a day in the form of supplements. Either, I used to take pills, but now I make my own supplement from copper sulfate. Uh, I also apply about 70 milligrams a day to my skin, uh, usually just about once a day. And, um, and I, I get the copper that way. And I balance it with uh, zinc and vitamin C and iodine and sulfur and boron and a bunch of other minerals too.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome again to the fullest podcast. As you may or may not know, we've been sharing the benefits of saffron with our community for a little while now, and I want to offer 15% off our entire product line to our podcast listeners with code the fullest podcast at checkout online at thefullest.com. Growing up in a Persian family, I'd always felt the benefit of saffron in my life, but it wasn't until I stumbled on the research that it made me realize what powerful medicine it is. Saffron has been proven over and over again in clinical double-blind placebo trials to be an effective form of treatment for depression, anxiety, and ADHD. Saffron has been used by many cultures for thousands of years for these purposes, and now the research is here to finally back it up, proving that plant medicines and ancient healing practices can actually be an effective alternative to pharmaceuticals. At the fullest, we believe that incorporating this ancient wisdom into our modern lives is the most powerful and accessible path to healing. We also believe that everyone's journey is unique, so our product line offers a variety of formulas to help you curate saffron into your personal wellness routine. Warm Feelings is our saffron latte powder and comes in individual sachets and in large sustainable glass jars. Featuring 150 milligrams of high-grade saffron in a creamy bed of coconut and cardamom, it's the perfect coffee alternative and feel-good start to your day. If you prefer to pop a pill, Kinder Thoughts is our 30 day supply of saffron capsules, and it's a super simple way to support your body and mood with the power of saffron. Not to mention, it's really amazing for headaches if you feel one coming on. Our saffron soaks are the latest addition to our product lineup, which include Exhale, our saffron salt bath blend, and Inhale, our probiotic rich saffron milk bath blend. Soak in them to support your digestion, inflammation, and support your skin microbiome. Honestly, at the moment, I'm using each of these products on a daily basis, depending on my needs and to help you begin your saffron journey. We're offering a discount of 15% off just for our podcast listeners with code, the fullest podcast at checkout. I hope you enjoy your new daily saffron ritual. Do you sell, like, is this a supplement that you make for yourself or you sell it? Um, How does that work? Like what form of copper is like being put on your skin or being used in a supplement?
1: Right. So I recommend that people take either a a copper glycinate supplement off the shelf for three milligrams. That's the way we did it for the first three years. Um, But then I discovered that copper sulfate is a lot cheaper. You can actually buy copper sulfate crystals. And what we recommend is people put um, five-eighths of a teaspoon of copper sulfate crystals uh, into a two-ounce um, dropper bottle, and that makes a one milligram per drop solution that you can uh, take and put it in your hot drinks, or you could apply it to your skin directly, which is what we do.
0: So are you suggesting that like lower doses of copper aren't good, but higher doses are, or is that not?
1: Yeah, terrible? that's... That's correct. We, we are taking 30 milligram. My wife and I are taking 30 milligrams of copper per day in the form of a drop that we put on our drinks uh, across our two morning cups of coffee. And then uh, we apply about 70 milligrams uh, to our skin topically to get extra. So yeah, we have found that more is better, but there's a diminishing return. If we try to do 60, 50 to 60 milligrams orally, we get the runs. So we hit what's called bowel tolerance, you know, you can take bowel tolerance, uh, magnesium to bowel tolerance or vitamin C to bowel tolerance. And so when that happens, it's time to back off.
0: How has this been traditionally used? Um, and like, why is it not more widely used and advocated for?
1: So that's a very good two part question. Um, <laughs> Historically, copper was used as a cure-all. In ancient times, they used it for, because copper stops bleeding, they used it and they packed wounds with it. It was curing things like leg ulcers or or, uh, battle wounds from battles. They'd put copper sulfate crystals right on the wound. They would use it for arthritis. Even today, people have the idea that if they wear a copper bracelet or a necklace or something, it will uh, help arthritis. And it certainly does because we need copper to help make collagen and it helps detoxify and Ah, uh, that's good for arthritis. But why isn't it? Hasn't it been more advocated? That's a it's an interesting question because if you go back over the last hundred years, people used to get about five milligrams uh, of copper per day in the food supply, but you know soils are depleted with uh, artificial fertilizers and with glyphosate, which is also chelates copper, and so we're getting a lot less copper in our diet today. We're only getting on average. Uh, 80% of people are getting 0.6 milligrams of copper or less in their diets. And in fact, the the government, when it came up with its uh, studies, it said that if people get uh, 0.58 milligrams, it causes copper deficiency in 80% of people. And yet 80% of people today are in that exact situation. And the government said that it was unethical to replicate those studies because it's so dangerous. And yet 80% of the people are in that exact same dangerous situation if they're not taking any copper. And then there's 50, 15% of the people, they take some copper, and uh, but, the, but it's mixed with iron. And iron blocks the copper. So of the people who are typically supplementing with copper in a multi-mineral, they're getting almost no copper at all. And in fact, people who get those high iron supplements, iron is one of the one things that's associated with a shortened lifespan. So, you know, why isn't it widespread? It's it has to be it's something only for our era. Seventy years ago, people didn't need copper. There weren't as many poisons and people were getting it in the food supply. So it's only in the modern era with glyphosate and everything else that we really need it more than ever before.
0: That makes so much sense. And most people obviously aren't eating an organic regenerative diet. Um, Even if you are, you're still being bombarded with, you know, all the toxins in the air and the water and everything. So it makes perfect sense why we need it. And yeah, like I I noticed too, like, I think the copper acts as like a fungicide too.
1: Yes. It is. It does. It totally does. People are uh, curing their fungus and mold. A lot of people from the mold and fungus groups on Facebook jumped over to our group because our people were healing mold issues so quickly with copper supplementation.
0: That's so incredible. Can you share a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah. So uh, copper surfaces are known to kill germs on contact. And in fact, taking copper increases our own white blood cells, it increases our uh, collagen formation. And we we believe that um, even our white blood cells will use copper and deliver copper directly to a pathogen to kill it. Uh, But mold is an interesting pathogen. I, I suspect that we get infected with mold as a means to help clear away our dead tissues. But if our tissues are strong enough and not dying and not turning over all the time, and we're not creating a bunch of new dead cells or tissues in our bodies, then there's nothing for the molds to feed off of. Or if, for example, we're toxic and the toxins are causing our tissues to die at a rapid pace, uh, then we're going to need the mold because mold goes hand in hand with heavy metal toxicity. People are usually afflicted with both. But once you clear out the heavy metals, then there's nothing for the mold to feed on. And so the mold just simply goes right away. It goes away because the body's strong enough and there's no need for it to even be there.
0: Wow. That's amazing. So I'm all about like whole food supplements. Uh Can you tell me a little bit more about how I can take in more copper into my diet, into my daily regimen, without necessarily like is like you're saying ancient times they used like copper sulfate, or you know, decades ago, whenever like in for battle wounds and whatnot. But is copper sulfate a substance that's found? Is it synthetic or is it found naturally in the environment? how can I do it if I just wanted like a whole food version, but really wanted high dose at the same time?
1: (laughs) So in theory, we thought at first that, um, liver would be the one food of choice to, uh, get copper naturally in the food supply. But the trouble is, um, just as copper deficiency is rampant among humans, it's also rampant among farm animals. Uh, it's probably the number one deficiency in all of farm animals. Yeah. Um, so therefore, there have been people wanted to have, have also wanted to try and make a uh, liver supplement, desiccated liver capsules. And this one guy, he tested the livers of his uh, cows and there was no copper in the livers. And normally you get about 64 milligrams of copper per pound. You know, When you look these things up, it's somebody who did the study maybe 20, 30, 50, 70 years ago. So he decided to test and there was no copper in the liver at all. So you could now go out and go eat liver thinking you're going to get some copper and there could be no copper in there at all. And these were grass fed cows, right? So you'd think that the grass fed cow would be extra healthy, but grass is also a natural mineral chelator, which then wow. is going to remove the, the minerals. So, you know, if you eat a lot of greens, you're also removing minerals from your body over time by going too vegan. In fact, that's the trouble with vegans is that they are often said that they don't get enough zinc um, in their diets. And so, you know, I, I, in fact, went high high vegan for a while. And after about three years, I, d- I was very demineralized and I developed horrible constipation and the fiber wasn't working for me and I couldn't figure it out. And I, I just by talking with a friend, we hypothetically, we theorized that perhaps I was low in minerals. I took some a normal mineral supplement, puked it up immediately. And I said, Whoa. oh, that's probably because I need it because yeah. the osmosis process wasn't even working and I had some familiarity. So I, I I stuck with it and chopped it up and buried it in a meal of rice and was able to keep it down and um, things got better almost immediately. Um, that was probably the beginning of my mineral journey about 60 years ago. And then, I, and then it led me back to copper and other things. So yeah, so foods, to answer your question, foods are not a good supply. Is copper sulfate natural? elements are natural. And in fact, when you buy something that's organic, they can put toxic fluoride on it because fluoride is simply an element. And so it's it's considered that when you buy dried fruit, they don't even have to list fluoride being used as a fungicide to keep that fruit from spoiling and staying on the shelf for a year. So you could be eating a high fluoride diet just by eating, you know, natural, dried fruits at whole foods market for example that are purely organic because they they, you get the organically grown label with fluoride so so technically speaking all of the elements are natural uh some are better than others copper sulfate is um very pure it's 99 percent pure if you can find it that pure in which case you know the one percent purities are copper um oxide that didn't get attached to the sulfur um so that's very, very pure substance. And in fact, when things are that pure, they're called food grade pure or pharmaceutical grade pure. So maybe instead of thinking about it being natural, thinking about it in terms of purity, it's very, very pure and that's good.
0: Wow. I had no idea about the fluoride. I mean, sulfates, are they required to label the sulfates, but not the fluoride? And is the fluoride because it it's in the water or it's like literally added?
1: Well, they literally add and spray the dried fruits with a fluoride mixture so that it won't turn mm-hmm. to mold within a month on the shelf at Whole Foods or any natural organic dried fruits. You have to of completely avoid dried fruits if you want to avoid sulfur – or I'm sorry, if you want to avoid fluoride.
0: Okay, so copper sulfate is what you recommend people take That's in what. the – doses that you are saying? And if you use it on your skin, how are you using it on your skin?
1: So we make the one milligram per drop solution. And uh, we just uh, apply about five drops to the palm of our hands, uh, rub it all over the hands, and then apply it to, you know, the shoulders and arms. I do it again, I put it on my chest, do it again, belly, back, legs, feet, just like that.
0: Taking it in transdermally versus sublingually, can you tell us a little bit about the difference?
1: Yeah, so um we had been used to taking other minerals uh, applied to the skin. People take, you know, magnesium baths, copper uh magnesium sulfate baths. That's called Epsom salts. So that's a thing that people do and then um people have applied, you know, topical magnesium chloride also to the skin. That's a thing in the health circles and people have applied iodine to the skin and So uh, us having been familiar with that, we said, well, we just wondered, well, can we apply copper sulfate to our skin? And we did. And we found that it was a good way to bypass nausea in the stomach. I think part of the reason why we get nausea in the stomach from copper supplements is that it is such a powerful detoxer. um, The toxins rush right into the stomach to bind with it almost immediately. In fact, we've had confirmation from that from several of our forum members who they go and they use their fluoride toothpaste and then they try to take the copper and the nausea is far higher. Or they eat like a or they drink like a black tea or a green tea, which is a very high fluoride tea. In fact, you can get about five times more fluoride that way than just in tap water. And they drink these uh, these teas and then they try to take the copper and then the nausea is way worse. So fluoride itself is known for causing nausea in the stomach. And fluoride can bind to copper directly, which is why they warn about copper in the pipes. It's not the copper in the pipes causing the problem. It's the fluoride in the pipes attaching to the copper in the pipes that is the problem. Because when you're ingesting copper in a form that's really a copper-2-fluoride molecule, that's the toxic form of copper. It's not that copper itself is toxic. It's that it's already bound to the toxin. You'd rather it bind to the toxin in the body and then carry them out. You don't want to ingest extra fluoride that way.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Oh, my gosh, well... I'm really excited to start taking copper um, in that form in terms of like transdermally. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really great way to introduce it if someone does feel like they want to bypass that feeling of being nauseous.
1: Yes, it does it somewhat. Um, the first five applications, my wife had uh, nausea, but um, decreasing nausea each, t- each time when she did topical uh, because we started almost with the whole body. And uh, she had a history of um, taking some fluoride-based medications like Prozac. And so you had to sort of get past that fluoride detox to tolerate the copper.
0: We need to do a whole fluoride podcast. Like I had no idea that Prozac is fluoride based.
1: Yes, it is. It is a, it is a fluoride. So, you know how we said the sulfate It's because it's bound. Well, there's fluorine, which is the molecule, and then it's fluoride once it's bound. So people say not that Prozac contains a fluoride, but is a fluoride because there's a fluorine molecule attached to it, just like. There's a sulfur molecule attached to copper sulfate.
0: Is that the same for other um, medic prescriptions like Lexapro that are similar?
1: Yes. When there's a fluoride or three fluoride molecules attached to it, it becomes a fluoride.
0: Wow. Oh my goodness.
1: So, So, yes.
0: (laughs) It's all over the place. But how can we? So, going back really quick to the copper transdermally, can you just like use your copper to put in the bath?
1: Yeah, but you wouldn't really want to because it gets so diluted that way. It's better to just apply it topically to the skin. And if you can't tolerate it, maybe like if it's burning your skin and you're too weak or too toxic, and it, you know, uh, then yeah, putting it in the bath might be a diluted way to do it. But some people try that in foot baths with copper, that works
0: but then you can't really dose it that way, right? Like you don't know how much you
1: store. Yeah, it's really not the appropriate dose. But two people do get energy from a a copper bath, so it does seem to work.
0: Would you do like a copper sulfate bath?
1: Yes. Yeah, you just put some copper sulfate crystals right in the bath, and they would dissolve and get it that way.
0: That's amazing. And then if someone's taking copper sulfate, what's the dosage on that? Is it different? Like how do they know um, how much they're getting –
1: Right. So we ran the math and we found that we need to uh, really put in uh, 4.7 grams of crystals on a scale and 25% of uh, copper sulfate crystals is contained copper. So to dose yourself with just the copper. So like um, a two ounce bottle of uh, water contains roughly uh, 1,180 milligrams or or drops. And so if you want to make a one milligram per drop, you take that number, multiply it by four Uh, and you get 4.7 grams. So if you measure out 4.7 grams, another way to measure it, of course, is 5 eighths of a teaspoon of copper sulfate crystals into a two ounce bottle. And you you have to heat up the water, use distilled water so it dissolves a little bit easier and is a little bit more clear. And then uh, shake it up about 40 times for about 30 seconds. And there you got your solution.
0: Wow. So how can um, people... Um, stay connected with you ask you questions join your community what does that look like maybe buy your supplements
1: right so uh yeah we're not selling supplements but we do run an informational uh, facebook page called the copper revolution same as the book just the copper revolution healing with minerals you can find us on facebook if you just search for facebook groups so we'll come right up
0: okay amazing and they'll just and then your book
1: yeah and the book is uh only available exclusive exclusively at amazon.com available in an ebook as well as a paperback format.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jason, for taking the time to share with us. I'm so excited to share more about this with our community and hopefully we'll have you back on soon to talk about all the other things.
1: Well, thank you for being such a a great host and asking great questions. That question of why, why do I think copper hasn't been more widely used and advocated for? I mean, it's a really great question, but it, copper is really, it's an element for our day because of uh, so many toxins in our food supply and um, and our food supply is depleted. So that's why people are getting such great healing results in our forum. It's really tremendous.
0: That makes sense. It just happens to be very timely for us.
1: Yes. Yes. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks, Jason. We'll talk to you soon.